Hello and welcome. This is where we recap each week's lesson of our women's Bible study class. This semester, we are in the book of Hebrews, and I am so glad you're with us. Let's get started. All right, welcome back. It's now week three in our Bible study, and this week we are looking at all of Hebrews chapter one, specifically starting in verse five and working through the end of the chapter. We covered the first four verses last week in week two, so if you haven't done that study, I encourage you to go back and look through that and listen to that lesson, because today we're starting really in verse five. Um, If you did the homework, you know that this week we are spending all of our time comparing Jesus to angels. Um, Last week when we were covering verses one through four, We ended that with, you know, his line in verse four, the author says that Jesus or the son, um, he having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we said, man, it seems it's kind of out of left field that he's bringing up angels because verses one through three, we're talking about Jesus as a prophet, a priest and a king and how he's more excellent than all of the other prophets, priests and kings that, that Judaism had before Christ. Um, But then all of a sudden in verse four, he's like, and he's better than angels. And it seems kind of weird. Like, where is this coming from? So I want to take a few minutes and talk about that. Because honestly, if you think about it, even to this day, there is an everlasting curiosity on behalf of people about things that are spiritual, about things that we cannot see. And our curiosity and our interest in things of angels, you know, this is nothing new. This is something that first century people had. And even prior to that, this has been a longstanding thing. If you think about it for us in modern pop culture, you know, we see all kinds of depictions of angels from the TV screen to movies to fine art and even children's cartoons. You know, I remember as a kid, one of my very favorite movies was Angels in the Outfield, where a group of angels are sent to help a a struggling Major League Baseball team win the pennant, you know, so they they help the outfielders kind of fly up and do these impossible catches, and it's a really funny kids movie, and you know, you get to see angels in this really, you know, fun light. Um, there's other depictions. You remember the movie Michael with John Travolta? where he plays the archangel Michael, who um, on his last trip to earth just kind of wants to go out with a bang and is really not concerned with these ideas that humans have of sin. And he does these, you know, things that we would raise our eyebrows out thinking of messengers of God partaking in some of his activities. But even though he smokes, you know, a pack a day, he still smells like chocolate chip cookies. It's just this weird look at angels in that movie. Um, but even in children's cartoons, how many times have, have you seen a cartoon character struggling with a decision of something they want to do versus something they know they should do? And then they have the little, you know, good white angel pop up on their shoulder saying, you've got to do this. And then the little red demon on the other shoulder. Um, this is something that's gone on for centuries, for millennia, really. And in the first century, the readers of this letter, the original audience, they had the same things going on. 
So I want to bring up a couple of things that we know this audience, we know this audience was dealing with in their view of angels. And the first is that, first of all, there was an, an ancient Jewish tradition that said that it was angels that brought the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So if you go back and read that story in Exodus, you, you don't see that. You don't see angels being, being the ones that were bringing the law to Moses. And this was something that developed over time as that, uh, as that story was told throughout the years. But in Galatians and over in the New Testament, in Galatians, when Paul writes about this, he verifies that. Okay, so we do think that this is how that happened. You know, this is something that was Holy Spirit inspired in that letter to the Galatians. So if you read in Galatians 3.19, Paul says that it was angels who delivered the message of the law to Moses. So that was one thing. Angels had a pretty high, high standing among the Jewish people because of that. That message that they brought was so important. So they have a very high view of angels because of that. So secondly, there was also this tendency in that time to worship angels because of this high view. Paul alludes to this in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians 2.18, he's warning about the dangers of false teaching. And one of the specific teachings that he mentions is the worship of angels. So we know in a broad sense that this was something that was circulating, this idea that angels are worthy of worship. And in fact, don't we see that in the Old Testament? Even in the New Testament, when people come across angels, you know, what do they do? They want to bow down. And the first thing that angels will always say is, no, don't, don't do that. You know, you don't worship us, right? So Paul had to correct that in this letter to the Colossians, but it's something that is still, you know, a struggle with the people of that time. And then we also know from historical evidence, these are things outside the Bible, but there are historical documents that show that there was a teaching circulating at this time that perhaps Jesus was one of the top angels, not man, not God. He was an angel. And that's why he was able to do the things that he did. And we know, just as the writer of this letter to the Hebrews knew, that that type of teaching that that's heretical. That's that is the opposite of the whole message of the gospel. Jesus was God made flesh, not a top angel. And so he wants to correct this. So that is why after going through the first three verses in Hebrews, when the author has presented Jesus as the better priest, the better king, and the better prophet, that now he's launching into and he's also better than the angels. So let's look at what he does here. Starting in verse 5, we have a series of quotes from the Old Testament. And as you read through this, I wanted you to note how many quotes he pulled. If you count them up, he pulled seven different quotations from the Old Testament. Is that a coincidence? I think not. You know, he could have pulled hundreds. He could have pulled just, just one, and that would have proven his point as well. But no, he pulled seven. And seven is a very interesting number in Scripture. It's this number that represents completeness. Okay, so by pulling seven distinct different passages from the Old Testament. He's painting this picture of this is the whole picture. This is the whole message right here. This is complete. And Jesus is better than the angels because of this complete message. 
Okay, so let's get started. We're going to read now in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. <clears throat> now I do want to pause here after just one verse of reading to point out what's going on specifically with these two passages. He's pulled here the first quote from Psalm 2, the second one from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in both of these, uh, in both of these quotations, what he's done is pulled prophecy from the Old Testament that had immediate fulfillment in the in the historical time that the prophecy was given, but then also later fulfillment in the work of Christ. So this first one, you are my son, today I have begotten you, that is from Psalm 2. And in your homework, I did ask you to go back and read all of Psalm 2. This is an exercise that is, is beneficial anytime you come across in the New Testament, a quote being pulled from the Old Testament. It will always benefit you to go back and see the original context of the quote. Read a few passages or a few verses before the quote. Read a few more afterwards and you'll, you'll get a picture of what the author is doing by using that specific quote. And what you see here with this one is that in Psalm 2, the author of Hebrews has taken a royal psalm a psalm that is very clearly talking about the king, God's anointed king, the king of Israel, or as we know, the future king, the perfect king, Jesus, right? Um, and he's taken this psalm and he's saying, you know, this was fulfilled in David. David was God's anointed king, yes, but there was more to it. There's more to to look forward to in God's true anointed king. When you read Psalm 2, um, starting in verse 4 of that, of that psalm, you know, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And the them he's talking about there is what he talked about in the first three verses of the psalm about the nations raging and the, the kings of the earth setting themselves against God. And now he's comparing that to the king that God is anointing. Right, so it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them, that's the kings of the earth, in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So we see here that the, the author of Hebrews has taken this. It's like, you know what? God did set his king on Zion. David was the anointed king, the, the king of, of God's choosing, the man after his own heart. Yes, but there's more to it than that. And what David left lacking, um, Jesus fulfills. He is the better king. He's the one that is still reigning. Okay, so then the author of Hebrews moved on. And he quoted from 2 Samuel chapter 7 when he said, uh, when God says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So that's another example where you, you would benefit from going back and looking, looking at that original context. Now your homework did not ask you to go do that. Uh, but again, this is something that would help you. So I, I do want to spend a few minutes here and look over this with you. Because when you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
you'll find that this is the context of when God is giving his covenant with David. David has told Nathan, the prophet, that he's decided he's going to build a house for God. And God comes in quickly and says, you know, that's that's not going to work for me. That's not what's going to happen here, David. And so the Lord comes to David and he says, uh, you know, you are not going to build the house for me. That's not going to happen. But starting in verse 12, we get a beautiful promise from the Lord to David. And he says, and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Okay, so I want to stop here. This is now in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because like, just like with the other psalm, we see here that this promise from God has an immediate fulfillment. Okay, the person who comes up after David from David's own body, the one who builds a house for, for God, that's his son Solomon. Right? Solomon is the one that becomes king when David dies. And Solomon is the one that builds the temple for the Lord. But listen to the rest of this promise uh, going on in verse 13. It says, He shall build a house for my name. And then the Lord goes on and says, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, obviously, Solomon is not still on the throne, right? So we're, he, we know he's talking about somebody else. This is somebody else, not Solomon. There's a future fulfillment yet to be uh, yet to be fulfilled when Second Samuel here was being written. And it says here, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Man, isn't that beautiful? Because we know, just like the author of Hebrews knows, that this promise looked forward to a future fulfillment where there will be a better king on the throne, where there will be a king whose, whose reign will last forever, whose kingdom will last forever, right? And so we also see here where God says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. Listen to that. Solomon did commit iniquity, and Solomon did suffer the discipline of the Lord because of that. But Jesus, what iniquity did he commit? There was none, right? He lived the perfect life. He was the, the innocent lamb, right? So when we consider that story, this is not a future prophecy of a time when Jesus is going to do wrong and going to suffer the punishment. No, this is instead a foreshadowing of the, the discipline that Jesus will receive not on his part, but because of us, when he commits iniquity there, you know, that's, that's showing us, that's throwing us forward to the cross because we know from later on in scripture where it says that on the cross, Christ became the curse. He became the sin. All right. And so when he was disciplined with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, like this prophecy here describes, he not only took the punishment from men themselves, but he also took the punishment that was intended for the men. He took it away from them. This promise from God gives gives us gives David 
so much more than just a promise of a son who will come from him that will build a temple for the Lord, but it's a promise given to us as well. So back to Hebrews, uh, going on in verse six, it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. There's another quote there from Deuteronomy. And for those of us living on this side of scripture, we know what happened when Christ was born. You know, the night that he was born, the shepherds were out in the field and what what appeared to them? It was angels, was it not? And these angels appeared in the sky saying, glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping the Lord right then. Verse seven, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And, so furthermore, he says this, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So here we have this very tight comparison of angels and Jesus, where specifically he's saying angels are the servants here. They are the ones that go out. They go and do the Lord commands them, and then they do that. They worship God. They worship Jesus. It's not the other way around. But Jesus, right, he is enthroned. He reigns forever. He is righteous. That's what we get out of um, that quote there in Hebrews 1 verse 9. We get going on in Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 that he's the creator, right? He never changes. That's an attribute of God that we call immutability, where he does not change. That's why he's able to remain faithful. That's why his promises can be counted upon because he does not change. And then he goes on, he's got one more quote, starting in verse 13, it says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So, if you remember from our very first week in class, I told you, if you want to just kind of do a little extra reading on the side, familiarize yourself with Psalm 110. Because you're going to see this come throughout the book of Hebrews over and over and over again. This is an example of that. Right here, we have a direct quote from Psalm 110. This is one of the seven that he chooses to use. But if you were paying attention in last week's class, and when we covered verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, you know this is not the first time that he's talked about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Way back in verse 3, it says, after making purifications for sins, he, what? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so this language of sitting down at the right hand of God, there's a lot to pull from that. And we don't, we don't necessarily get all of that in direct translation to us simply before the fact that here in America, we don't, we don't have kings. We don't operate with the same idea of what happens when you're in the presence of of royalty, right? But we do have offices that we respect. You know, um, one of my favorite TV shows of 
all time is the West Wing. Um, I, my husband, we just we just go nuts for it, right? So there's this one episode where the president of the show, his name is President Bartlett, he walks into a room at the White House where they're they're hosting a group of of journalists, and there's it's a mixed group, um, people that like him and support him, people that don't. It's just you know this whole big mixture of people. But in, among the people there in this party uh, is one conservative journalist who, through this whole episode leading up to this party, has been um, has been knocking the president, you know, and criticizing him for various things and just being trouble on the staff. Definitely a troublemaker in the episode. And so he walks into this party. He's announced by the people that announced the president. And anyone who was seated down at the time of his arrival stands up, right? And we see this a lot like in a courtroom when a judge enters a room, you know, all rise. Well, when the president enters a room, everybody stands up. It's a sign of respect. And even if you don't like the man, you still respect the office. So you stand up for the president. Well, in this episode, this one conservative host remains seated. Okay, so he walks in and President Bartlett, you know, is waving and talking to people as he enters the room. And as he turns to the side, he notices that this woman is still seated at her table and she is not showing him respect. And he understands this for the slight that it is. So he begins to engage with her, asking her questions about, you know, different things that they've been bantering about throughout the episode. And after he makes his point and kind of puts her in her place uh, with his rhetoric, he makes this final point. He was like, and there's one more thing. In this building, in the White House, when I enter a room, nobody remains seated. You know, and he tells her, you need to respect this office. This is something that, that is ingrained and it's a, it's a sign of, um, it's a sign of respect that we give to those who hold offices of power and authority, right? So when we see this image here of, of God on the throne and he extends to Jesus the invitation and the right to sit down with him, you know, that can only happen to, to one kind of, of person or being. And it's got to be someone equal to God, right? It's got to be someone on the same, the, the, with the sameness as God. So we see that there um, in that imagery of him being able to sit next to God. But there's one more too. So if you recall, there's been times in scripture we've seen angels at work, all right? And there's one time in particular in Jacob's dream. Do you remember this story from the Old Testament where Jacob is in a field, he lays down and he has a dream and he sees um, a staircase or a ladder up to heaven and angels are on it. If you know the story, you know, um, he describes the dream and angels are coming and going. They're ascending and descending up and down, up and down, up and down. They don't stop. They never sit down. They're always working. There's always work to be done, right? But Jesus is asked to sit at the right hand of the Father. The work is done. And we should be echoing in our minds the words of Jesus from the cross. It is finished. He can sit at the right hand of the Father now. The author of the book of Hebrews also finishes this this chapter right here with his one final question. He says, are they, meaning angels, 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And the answer there is yes. Yes, that is exactly what they are. They're sent out to serve for us, for our sakes, for we are the ones that inherit salvation. So this is the, the end of chapter 1, and he's, he's actually not finished talking about angels. We're going to go on in chapter 2, still talking about angels. But, um, but I wanted us to pause here and take a moment to think about what we can pull from chapter 1 as a whole before we move on. And there's a couple of things that really jumped out at me this week as I was studying. The first is that in all of chapter 1, all of these 14 verses that we've now read through together, not one verse has anything to do with you or me. Did you notice that? There's not a single word of instruction. There's no word of encouragement. There's no um, really cute little verse to put on our coffee mugs or wear on our sweatshirts or, you know, anything, any, there's nothing like that. And so a lot of times we might read a chapter like this and read it and then just keep moving on because we're going to be looking for the, okay, here's what you do with this information part of the scripture. And that's going to come. We're going to get there. But first, let's take a moment to really sit and look at what has already been said. Because what we do with that information, you know, that doesn't matter as much if we're not taking this information and we're letting it soak into our hearts. Okay? We have a tendency to take scripture and make it about us when in actuality, the Bible is a book about God. So this chapter is a great example of just reading, just to learn more about God, to learn more about the nature of him and the nature of him that Jesus shows us. Just focus, just put our eyes on Jesus and just sit in that and dwell in that. And the rest of that will come, but we can't rush that. How many times do you come to scripture? Do I come to scripture really hoping that I find a solution to a problem that I'm facing or maybe a new way to think about an issue in my life or just some encouragement because I'm feeling down or I'm feeling stressed out or I'm feeling anxious and I, I want to solve these problems. Um, but that, that's not why we were given the Bible. Those are benefits from the Bible for sure. But we were given the Bible because this is God's revelation of himself to us. So let's sit in that. And what did we learn about, about Jesus here? We learned all kinds of things, right? He's the begotten son. That begotten, that, that has language that means um, an imparting of one's nature. Like a father, when he begets a child, it's not just the fact of, okay, he's claiming him as his child. That is part of that father is in that child. And nature has been passed on there. And so when Jesus is the begotten son, we know that he has God's nature. And our heads should also be going back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only begotten son. And we know from that that Jesus is the only one. This is a unique thing. This is not something God did many times, right? Um, 
We know that he's worthy of worship even by the angels. We know that he reigns forever. We know that he is righteous. We know that he was the creator. We know that he never changes. We see so many things about Jesus in this chapter. Let's not miss that because we keep looking for the, okay, what do I do now type lesson. The last thing that that I want to leave you with here is a word of warning and also a word of um, caution, I guess, because the whole reason that we have this, these wonderful passages here exclaiming the beauty and the, the glory that is due to Jesus is because the church at this time is dealing, they're dealing with the struggles of their people and how to handle their, their curiosities and their interests in the world of angels, in the, the spiritual world, the world that they can't see. And so your homework asked you this question, does angel worship happen today? And I think probably there's a there's like a gut reaction to say, no, we, we don't really worship angels today. Um, but then the follow-up question to that was, in what ways do we direct our adoration to things that seem appropriate, but in fact are not? And I think that's something that we maybe can resonate with. And this is something that I think people struggle with even today of seeing the things that maybe are from God. But then when we have an overdeveloped sense of curiosity about them or an overdeveloped interest in these things that are from God, but we don't have that same interest in God himself, you know, has that really, has that really um, been a good thing? And the answer is, is no, we can't, we can't let these things become distractions to our pursuit of our relationship with God. You know, and the real question is, if, if we do allow these things to do that, you know, are they then from God? And, you know, I can't answer that for, you know, every possible scenario. But I do know in my own life, there have been things that seemed good, that seemed right, that I wanted to pursue. But as I got into them and as I, um, you know, spent more and more time in certain certain areas, I realized this is pulling me from God. This is not what I need to be doing right now. So I think that's a that's a word of warning that we get from this, just like the church back in the first century was struggling with this. Um, I don't I don't think that struggle has gone away. What I see a lot is maybe dwelling on let's say end time prophecies. Okay? They're in the Bible. There's no getting around that. And that is something that we can talk about and have an interest in. But if we spend more time talking about and researching and diving into and looking for the answers for these end time prophecies, if we spend more time doing that than we do in learning about Jesus and spreading the gospel and showing his love to other people, then maybe we've missed the boat there. Because there are things in scripture that we're just not going to know the answer to. And we can't let those things become the distraction to the things that we do know the answer to, right? There are many examples like this. You know, dwelling on angels and demons is another example. How about um, the pursuit of Bible knowledge without actually letting it work in our hearts, right? If I'm just constantly making sure my children 
know every story frontwards to backwards and they can answer the 10 question quiz on, you know, Moses or Joshua or whatever they're studying in their classes. But then I'm also, I'm not helping them see how this, how this affects their life. I'm not pointing them to Jesus in their own lives. And I'm not saying this is how we, we bring this about. This is how we work this out and show others. This is how we take these lessons that we're learning in our classes and in our own quiet times and we then live it out if I'm not doing that then maybe I've missed the boat on that as well so I hope you had some time to really kind of just sit in Hebrews chapter one I hope you were able to pull out some things about Jesus that um, are good reminders of just how wonderful and glorious he is and I hope that you are, are looking forward to the rest of the chapter um, or the rest of the book, I should say, because we're, we're just getting started. Um, he's really going to start launching into where are we going from here. Um, so keep reading because this book gets so, so good. Um, I do want to just wrap up with talking about our Jesus is page. Um, you know, every week I want you to end your time thinking about what you learned about Jesus and, you know, spending a few minutes to kind of put it down on that paper of what you learn and what it means for you. So for me, you know, looking at all of these attributes of Jesus that we were able to pull out from these seven quotations from the Old Testament, one thing just kept ringing in over over and over in my head, and that was the supremacy of Christ, all right, and that he is, he is the answer. He is the answer to everything that people were looking for back in ancient times. He's the answer to everything that people are looking for right now. And so I just, I, I did, I sat in that for a long time. I hope I never forget that, but I, I know I will. <laughs> I know I will because our problems here can seem so big and our lives here can get so busy and it is so easy to stop paying attention to that message, isn't it? I know it is for me. So I, I just sat in that and just said, you know what? If Christ is supreme, then he, it, I need to reflect that and my life needs to reflect that. That needs to be where my attention is. That needs to be where my energies are put and that needs to be where my focus is as well. So I am... Um, I'm going to pray for us right now. We're going to end, and then I hope you continue on um, in starting chapter 2 next week with us. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, again for your precious word and for our ability to come together and study it together and read it at home um, and be able to, to do this online format, Lord, without fear, fear of any persecution, God, without fear of um, people knocking on our doors, Lord. I just I pray that we can recognize what a gift and what a blessing that is and we do not waste this opportunity Lord. Um, I also pray for the women in this class that as we study this word that you burden our hearts with with ways that we can learn more about you and then ways that we can help that reach out and infiltrate the rest of our lives God. And Jesus in my pray. Amen. <music>